Welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast. I'm Koya Webb, founder of Get Loved Up, where we inspire you to love yourself more, love others more, and love the planet more. Each week, I'll interview a special guest who will share their insights on how they practice daily self-care, tackle tough challenges in life, and thrive in the world one breath at a time. You will be inspired to take control of your life as you heal yourself mentally, spiritually, and physically, and create a reality in alignment with your deepest passions. Let's get loved up. Hey loves, and welcome back to the Get Loved Up podcast. I am so excited and I have a very special guest for you today who is going to help you stack your coins. Today, I'll be introducing you to Tanya Rapley. She is an international recognized millennial money expert, mompreneur, and founder of the award-winning site, My Fab Finance. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Money Manual, a practical guide to help you succeed on your financial journey, and the co-host of Colorful Lives podcast. In 2007, Tanya was fighting for her life in a relationship that was physically, emotionally, and financially abusive. She created the Banish the Balance Challenge in 2016 and helped her community eliminate more than $250,000 worth of debt in 60 days. In 2019, she launched the Blue Ribbon Club, a structured accountability program to help individuals break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck so that they could find the love in their lives and live the lives they love. Tanya is a sought out media personality as she's appeared as a financial expert on Good Morning America, Strahan and Sarah, and CNN. Her client list includes brands such as State Farm, H&R Block, Frost Bank, and Invisalign. Tanya's work has been featured in The Washington Post, Glamour, Business Insider, Vogue, and more, making a powerful impact on the financial lives of audiences of all ages. Tanya, welcome. Thank you, Koya. Thank you so much. It's so good to join you. Oh, it's so good to have you here. And I think especially in this time, everyone is nervous not everyone but uh, there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. most of america is really nervous about their finances and before we really get into those financial tips i want you to kind of share about how you came from that abusive place because some people have the physical abuse but some people have the abuse you can't even see Mm -hmm. and you mentioned a couple ways in there and i want you to just share how that situation was on you and how you kind of pulled yourself out and got to got in control of your life yeah um you know i grew up in a military household two-parent household typical upbringing and so forth you know i went to college and everything i i look at my upbringing was a privilege because we didn't have to worry about much and we go through different things for different reasons and i do feel like my that relationship was almost my equalizer it was what made me experience life in a different way than I probably would have. I mean, you know, everything is ordained and everything, but it was what really changed the trajectory of my life because it was one of the first times I was in that type of struggle. I found myself in that type of scenario. And I don't know if I would have outside of that relationship, but it was in that moment. I know when I decided to leave my abusive ex, it was really like, okay, either he's going to eventually kill you or he's going to continue to drag him down with you or you can go and realize the promise that you know is there for your life. 
you've done the work, your family has done the work, your ancestors have done the work, and you don't want to throw that all away. And that, and so I was fighting for me, but also for like my, my ancestors and everybody who paid the way before me for me to experience life in this manner. And so when I ended up leaving that relationship, I just kind of was like, you know what? Everything behind me, everything, including my finances, like everything that was a result of that relationship knew me. And that kind of worked. Uh, until um, about 2012, I was in New York City. After this relationship, I ended up moving to New York City and I was creating programming. My background, I had a bachelor's degree in public administration and a master's in urban policy. And so I was creating programming for low-income residents uh, throughout the entire borough of Brooklyn. And one of the programs was a financial education workshop. So I attend my workshops. I'm sitting in the back. I'm listening to the gentleman talk and everything. I'm like, you know what, Tanya? You need to be in here. This is for you because you have not began to untangle the mess from that abusive relationship. You're living paycheck to, like you're literally living like paycheck to Monday. You get paid on Friday, your money is gone by Monday. You don't have any money in savings. You're not financially secure, financially comfortable. Your credit, uh, you don't even, let's not even talk about your credit report. And so in that workshop, I said, you know what? I brought this as a resource to them. Let me use it as a resource available to me as well. And that's when I started learning about money and learning about finances. Up until that point, I had no interest in talking about finances. I was... No, I hated math growing up. I, I chose my degree in public administration because it was the furthest thing away from like the math related disciplines or the sciences, in my opinion. But I started enjoying it. I actually enjoyed it. And I realized like, wow, this is a lot more fun and easier to understand than most people would like us to believe. And so that's the first task. I don't really think I addressed the financial ramifications of that relationship initially, I just wanted to get on solid ground. My goal was just to get on solid ground. And then once I felt more solid and confident in my financial situation, that's when I started to untangle the, um, the effects of the relationship. I had two broken leases on my credit. I had um, two bank accounts that were in the negative and had been closed. So I was like blacklisted by the, the by banks because of it. I had three credit cards that were charged off. I had a compromised PayPal account. Um, and I just, I didn't have any money in savings or anything of that nature. So I had to really just kind of humble myself, contact them, find out the ways that I could work through it and everything, what made sense for me to, um, to pay off or settle, what didn't, understanding how credit worked and understanding what made the most sense for what I had available to me at that time. And um, that resource that I created for myself and the education became a resource that now serves um, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and helping them take control of their financial story. Mm, mm, mm. That is amazing. And congratulations for you know, getting out of that toxic situation because a lot of people find themselves in these situations and they, they feel stuck. They feel yeah. like they can't get out. So do you have any advice for someone who feels like, okay, I'm in this situation, but I'm being financially supported by this person. I'm being emotionally supported by this person. I might be in like a codependent relationship, but now I want to get out, but I just don't know how. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first thing you always want to do is navigate your safety, understand what's the safest thing for you to do related to this person. 
because you know some every every relationship isn't the same and so that's the first thing is like understand the safety measures that are and that are necessary for you to navigate as to successfully leave the relationship and if safety isn't necessarily a concern maybe it is like toxic codependency or maybe it is just you know simply like maybe it is more so emotional abuse and so forth you know start doing the work before you even leave because and when i say start doing the work that is asking yourself you know how you, I don't blame victims at all, um, but there is a certain thing we have to question. Like, I know in my heart of hearts, I know I don't deserve this, but something is enabling me to stay and feeling like this is either the best situation for me or that I deserve this. So when we're saying, when I say do this self-work, it really does require you to start, you have to break yourself out of the relationship before you actually leave the relationship. Because other than that, you'll return to the relationship. And so it is just making the mental decision and going on that mental journey, even while you're there with that person, because it makes it that much easier to leave, to be honest. When you start doing the self-work and you realize that this relationship doesn't serve who you're supposed to be or where you're going and so forth, then it makes it even more difficult for you to remain in that situation or you to be charmed by them because most abusers are incredibly charming. When I was in my abusive relationship, the physical scars would heal, but the emotional scars were enduring. And that's why when you're thinking about leaving a relationship, I think it's important to start to work on those emotional scars because those are the things that other people can't see. And those are things you can control and you can work on um, and then you know, start to physically leave that relationship. But you always have to navigate your safety and center your safety first. If you don't have the time to do that, then you know, look for the resources available to you. Look for the nonprofit organizations. I know that recently with you know what's going on with um when the pandemic happened i saw um a post where they said you know if you're in an abusive relationship and you want to text me about your dresses and you have questions about your, you know they there was code language in there so seeking those resources that will keep you safe but also can support you if, if you're considering leaving thank you so much for sharing that and i think that is so important you know safety is number one and I feel like when people, sometimes people just get up and leave and then that safety is in jeopardy. But I love your advice of first thinking about what does life look like without this person? And what is my safe, what is the safest brain? Is it calling someone? Is it getting um, authorities involved? Is it telling my friends, my family, letting everyone know? Because I feel like sometimes we just keep it all inside. And all inside is not giving us that chance to heal. And so once you finally got out of this, uh, this relationship, what were the steps that you took to kind of get back on your feet? Because like you said, you said once you got out, it took you a while mm -hmm. to really rebuild, right? Yeah. Um, for me, I went to my safe space. My safe space for me was my parents home, um, the home that I grew up in. Um, for me, that was a safe space also because I knew he wasn't, my parents are retired military. My mom and dad are sharpshooters. Like I knew he was not coming to my parents' house. Um, I know a lot of, you know, <laughs> that was my safe space. Um, so I ended up going to my safe space and just using that time to reconnect with who I was before that relationship. Because a lot of times you find yourself you are a different person oftentimes in an abusive relationship because you become who they want you to be versus who you actually were. So I reconnected with myself, um, just gave my time, myself time to enjoy life because for so long I had been, my life had been stifled um, under his vision. And so really gave myself that time and space to figure out what my next steps were. And then my next step was moving to New York city. Um, and I just focus on becoming stable first. 
I think that a lot of times people will come to me or sometimes people will come to me and they're fresh off a crisis or in a crisis and they want me to help them fix it while they're in a crisis. And I always have to say, like, you have, we have to normal, like, we have to stabilize your situation first. So that might look like helping you find employment or helping you find somewhere to stay or helping you find something like the services that you need so that you can make sure that you and your children have food every night. Let's stabilize your situation. And then we can start to build on that because it can become overwhelming to try to build something while in crisis mode other than stabilizing your crisis situation and um, so for that that's what i had to do for myself i had to stabilize get like uh, i graduated from college at the height of the recession this relationship happened um while um while at 2007 leading into the recession and so um i got my first stable job and from there that was my building block to help me move on to the next step so now i had income coming in now i knew how i was going to pay my rent now i knew how i was going to do other things so i wasn't as overwhelmed because my basic needs were met so for anybody who's starting over or thinking about starting over it is okay let's stabilize you and get your basic needs met because your financial situation will improve give yourself patience and grace because it will improve but we also want to make sure you're giving yourself that time. Right. That's so, so like in alignment with, you know, balance that root chakra, you know, that safety mm -hmm. and security, get grounded, get stable, and then build from there. So once you got grounded, you're at your parents' house, you're stable and you're building, what were kind of the things that you did that you can remember that really catapulted you to the next level? So the first thing that I did was I pulled my credit score. That was the my pull my credit report because I had been avoiding that. Um, I didn't know what my credit score was. I was that person in the store when they're like, do you want to apply for a credit card? I'm like, no. And it's because I, I didn't know what my credit score was. I didn't know what was going on. So the first thing I did was I pulled my credit report and I contacted one of the creditors and I set up a payment plan to get make things right with them. And I'm really happy I did that because Capital One has one of the most lenient credit building programs. And so I paid, I established a payment plan. I think at that point I owed like maybe $1,400 on a credit card that they had closed. We set up a payment plan where I paid like $1,092 on the credit card, paid it off over like three months or something of that nature. Glad I did that because maybe about a year later, I was able to apply for a Capital One card and they have a stair step program they have this building program where they gave me a limit of three hundred dollars on my first card um what my first card when i started to rebuild my credit um after doing paying that responsibly for three months they increased my limit to 500 um have, six months later they increased it to a thousand now that credit card has like a fifteen thousand dollar limit it's one of my lower ones but i still have that credit card it's like my first credit card and it was because I looked at my credit report and said, okay, I'm going to make this relationship right with them. Um, and by making that relationship right with them, it opened up the door for me to continue to build my credit. And um, once I started building my credit, utilizing that builder card, then it allowed my credit score to improve so that I could, you know, get other credit lending opportunities and so forth. So um, one step at a time for me, but it was working on establishing a relationship with a creditor that had gone wrong and reestablished that relationship and taking good faith effort to make it right. Mm, that is so beautiful. And I think the key that is ringing with me as you say that is just like building relationships. And mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, making sure you're safe and then building healthy relationships mm -hmm. are so important. Business relationships, personal relationships, and so forth. So, you know, no matter what person you go to, you chose that specific financial 
institution, but there are a lot out there that are really, especially at this time, willing to help people out. So thank you so much for sharing that experience. And then, you know, you've gone on to have healthier relationships. So did you feel like you had any blocks after that when you wanted to kind of open your heart up to love again? Oh my gosh, I did, Koya. I did. Um, You know, I didn't... I think I underestimated the emotional and psychological impacts of abuse because I had done, you know, I was trying to like move on and reclaim myself and everything. But um, I had forgiven him because I just felt like it was part of my work. I'm a pretty forgiving person in general. But I remember he reached out to me about maybe about four years after I left him. And he was like, I just want to apologize. You didn't deserve any of that and so forth. And I was like, I forgave you. Um, it's, you know, I forgave you. And then that, that afternoon, I'm living in New York. So I'm walking to the train station. I'm like, Tanya, you haven't forgiven yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, and everything was pointing to that. Like maybe the next week I was at a community festival and so forth. And woman was doing crystal readings and my, my sacral chakra came up and she was like, you got to do work in your sacral chakra. And I'm, when I started learning about it, I was like, oh, this is that self-forgiveness. Oh my gosh, we really have to navigate this. And I had to forgive myself because I felt like I was too smart to be in that relationship. I felt like I knew better. I felt like this doesn't happen to people like you. Like I was just so upset at myself. I was more upset at myself than him because I was like, why would you allow yourself to be a part of that relationship? Um, And so for me, the work, the healing work really did look like forgiving myself, understanding that um, we make decisions based on where we are, but sometimes we also make decisions that are necessary to our journey. And reflecting now, I realize that that relationship was part of my journey for a reason. I mean, I made it through for a reason, Um, but it it took work. It definitely took me focusing on doing the self-work and forgiving myself. Um, I had relationships after that, and there was a lot of anger. I still had a lot of anger. I had um, taken on his responses to anger. So like I started to become the aggressor, the relationship directly after that, I found myself becoming the aggressor. I found myself being the one who would like use physical violence against my boyfriend and so forth. And that's what's like, you can't do this to people. You, mm. you, you can't do this. And so it was, it, it, it was an ongoing thing. And it still is because I also grew up in a household where um, my father would, if he got upset, like he wouldn't necessarily, he wouldn't hit us, but he might like punch a hole in the wall or so forth. So being someone who kind of grew up with seeing that type of aggression and then being in a relationship where that was the norm, it required a lot of reprogramming and also tools for myself to learn to deal with anger in a different manner. Um, and that means anger towards myself, anger towards others and everybody else. And it is an ongoing journey. Uh, I feel like even now I've been doing that work. I started doing the work maybe like 2014, 2015. I feel like now there are moments where I'm like, wow, I, I see my growth now where I'm like, wow, you would have responded to this differently a few years ago. And so, it, you know, you just have to be patient with yourself and especially in an abusive relationship. Maybe the relationship was only a year long, but that is intense trauma. And mm-hmm. it might take you longer than you were in, even in that relationship to repair the impacts of it to you. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing such an intimate story because I realized that even after, you know, first of all, the point that you have to forgive yourself is so important because... 
I do this thing called transformational letter writing where I write a letter saying exactly how I feel and then write a letter back to myself of that person giving me the apology I want to hear. And I learned that in my breathwork certification and that helps like heal the wounds. And then I do breathwork after and it helps clear the internal because I feel like sometimes when we, we don't see that emotional trauma, but it's making deposits in our body. So that anger, that aggression then goes off on someone else because it hasn't been processed. It's just been like, stuff down inside of us and it needs a release it needs somewhere some people dance some people sing some people do yoga breath work but all of that stuff is releasing the trauma that we took on but never let go of oh my gosh Koya you're so right and um one of the things that my midwife told me is like she said the body keeps the score and it's Mm. like mentally we could have moved beyond that experience but we could be harboring it in our body we could be harboring it in our tissues and so Yes, absolutely. And I, I, that transformative letter writing sounds amazing. Uh, I Adding do it all the, the time. Oh, oh try it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone listening, try it. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's so amazing. And so, and now you have a beautiful kind of bundle of joy and a new family. So can you talk a little bit about where you are now and how you kind of tr- transition not only your finances, but also your family? Yeah, you know, I... Um, I think around, it was about 2016. No, it was 2014, that same year. Um, I took on the mantra, everything begins with intention. And so that was when I really went from taking a back seat to my life to taking a front seat to my life. I'm like, okay, what do I want my life experience? What do I want to experience? What do I want my life to feel like? Um, that was, I went to a conference and there was a woman speaking on a panel. It's a financial blogger conference. And, you know, I had seen bloggers before and I heard people say they were making a, like living a full-time living on their blog and so forth. But I was sitting at this panel and this woman was like, yeah, I made $35,000 this month. And I was like, on a financial blog? Like at this point I'm working in nonprofit. I'm making $50,000 a year. So I was like, wait, what? Oh, I need some of that. Like I, I got to figure out how. And so I ended up, um, making it my intention. I said, okay, so this blog is going to pay my bills and I'm going to live well because of this blog and I'm going to experience life. And I just kept stacking things I wanted in my life experience. Um, At that point, I knew I wanted to be a present parent and a parent in the manner in which I wanted to because of my mother being in the military. There was a moment, a pivotal moment in my upbringing was my mother was sent to Korea for a year when I was 15 years old and we relocated to North Carolina. And I was just like, how in the world do you send a mother to another country from her children for an entire year? And here we are moving. I'm going to high school for the first time. I'm like, my mom is not going to be a part of all of this because of her obligations to her job. I don't want anyone to tell me what role I have in my children's life. And so I knew I wanted to be a present parent, but then I was like, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur parent because I want to be able to call, make my own decisions about how I show up in my son's life. So those two things, or not my son, but my child's life, those two things led me to say, okay, I'm going to make a good living with this blog that I've created and I'm going to work for myself and I'm going to be a, um, a mompreneur essentially. Um, and so it is, it's been it's been such an honor. And I say that like, you know, as self-honoring, it's been such an honor to watch that journey unfold and to be like a part of it. Sometimes I'm humbled. Sometimes I'm in tears. Like, wow, this is the life that you said that you wanted. And like, it, it inspires, it reminds me of how powerful I am and how powerful we are. 
And that's why I'm taking this new step in the direction of how I communicate financial education, because I just see so many people who feel that they're powerless. Um, even this morning, I was reading headlines and they're like, you know, the, even the headlines are created to make us feel powerless. And so a part of the transformation um, with my finances, the transformation in my relationships, the transformation um, of me being able to be the mother I wanted was really taking my power and owning my power and saying, okay, this is what I want. This is where this is. Let's co-create this God. Like, let's make this happen. Um, so mm. it, I'm so excited. Like there's still so much happening. Moving to California was part of that vision. Now we're moving back East and, um, really? yeah, why to move to LA and now why to move back? You know, as much as I love Los Angeles, um, it's been incredibly expensive for us to parent here without the support of our family. And so mm. when we looked at, we looked at how much we paid our nanny last year, I was like, so we paid her more than I made at my first job last year. Like she, she made really good money. And um, part of it is just because we haven't had the family support. Me and my husband would be like, okay, we're going out for this or just doing this. And she, there was a point where she was with us like six days. She might as well live with us at this point. And it's because we still have, we're still very true to who we are. And we understand that in order for us to be the parents that we want to be, we have to retain those, some elements of who we were before we became parents. And that requires us to have support. And so we're moving closer to where our support systems are, um, as well as um, it's a financial play. You know, real estate is more affordable there. We're purchasing a multifamily and looking to purchase several more. Um, so it's a combination of that, but then the power of a village. And we have so many wonderful friends here in LA. We are so like so fortunate in that regard. We love our friend family. Like I will miss them so much, but in the same sense, I want my children to know their, their, their blood relatives. I want them to spend time with my parents, God willing, in ways that I wasn't able to spend time with my grandparents. And so mm. as much as I love the weather here and the vibe and the energy here, um, I know that, you know, is if you, if you control your vibration, you can vibrate high almost anywhere. So Mm, I love that. And I love that you shared that. I don't think we've ever talked about that on the podcast, just like how important it is. And you see a lot of uh, people who have, you know, a lot of power couples who have the mom or the grandma, like come in and move in because of exactly what you said. It does take a village and it is a lot to have a person who probably has their own life and their own, own kids, or maybe even a young uh, nanny mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, taking in that space. And then as to your point, you don't get the same type of connection as if it is your mother or your grandmother or someone in the family. It's still a yeah. beautiful connection. So I'm glad that you shared that because I think especially young parents don't necessarily think about that. And they take on all of that, 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 um, I don't want to say struggle. They take on all of that responsibility mm -hmm. themselves when it has meant our ancestors and everything. They always had a village. They always right. had a grandmother. If it wasn't your blood grandmother, it was your, your friend's grandmother, but there was a grandmother and there yeah. were mothers and there was sharing everything, sharing breast milk, sharing babies. Just everything was shared. And I feel like that you know, no matter where you are, whether you have a big family or a small family, that village and that community and that support system is so integral in exactly what you said, keeping that love life of the two people that came together in love from being overwhelmed. And I don't think we talk yeah. about that enough in society. 
It's important. It's important. I think because as a society, we've moved away, you know, we've, we've advanced, you know, and we have all these resources available to us. Um, you know, millennials are making more money. They can afford to hire the help and so forth that they need. But um, when, when I was pregnant, one of the things, and like, that's another thing, like, you know, being able to experience pregnancy on my terms, like financial freedom for me is not just about like, having money in your bank account. It's experiencing life on your own terms. So being a black woman, I knew the risk of the maternal, maternal mortality rate was higher for black women. I'm someone who's prone to anxiety and worry. So I was like, you know what? I am staffing up. I had a midwife. My midwife is amazing. I had a midwife. Like I did have a hospital birth, but I, you know, I paid her her full rate. And it was like, so we're going to do this in the hospital. Um, but the education I received from her was invaluable. Her, I spent so much time with her. My doctor, I still had an OBGYN. I loved him too. But my midwife would literally sit with me for an hour for our sessions. After I had the baby, she came to the house. I remember I had some postpartum bleeding and I was like, is this okay? I sent her a picture and she's like, okay, I can tell you did this today. I can tell you did that. So-and-so and so we need you to sit down for the next couple of days. And just having that access to that, which is like, this is why financial freedom is important. So you can be supported in the ways that the system doesn't, see necessary to support you. Um, but one of the things she told me was um, when your mother, when my mother was in her mother, like I was an egg in her ovary. Like I would, so while my grandmother was pregnant with my mother, I was in my grandmother. And like, we don't realize how intricate that circle of life is. Um, and th those are certain bonds. Some people are not maternal by nature and so forth. Um, but some, if, if it's there, it is so powerful. It is mm. so powerful and so beautiful. And in my situation, my mother wanted nothing but to be a grandmother for the past eight years. When she's not <laughs> like, she is, is she's been retired for um, almost like over 15 years in military. So like her next job was grandma. Um, and it's just like, I, I want my, I want to experience that. And I want my son to experience that. So, um, yeah, it's, you, you, sometimes you have to dial back and ask yourself, you know, what do I want in my heart? What kind of experience do I want to have? Sometimes things make sense. You know, my husband works in film and LA is a great place for film and everything else, but it's like, what makes sense in our heart? That is powerful. That is so powerful. And I think it's so important that you have that conversation too with your partner. So can you share a little bit about, you know, the finances and relationships and finance? Because I know a lot of relationships that end, end because of financial problems. So can you speak a little bit about like the, the transparency and openness you have in your relationship about finances? You know, I'm so transparent, Koya. So, you know, one of the things that, it has caused frustration in our relationship is that my husband's like, well, you help everybody else with their finances. Like you're the finance person. And sometimes I just like, I don't want, I want to take my finance cap off in our relationship. I don't want to do the money. Like I'm doing money for other people. Um, and so that creating a space where my husband feels comfortable telling me like you dropped the ball on this. I felt like because you are good at like, this is what you do. You should have done this. And me saying, you know, like, well, I've, taught you how to do this. And I wanted you to take the leadership on it because 
I'm busy doing it for other people and I'm burnt out from doing it for other people. And so really creating that space where you can communicate, where you can communicate your disappointments, where you can communicate um, maybe things that you weren't the proudest of or financial decisions that you weren't proud of. Um, and as another partner, you know, as being the financially responsible partner, being a soft place for those confessions to land, because oftentimes, like even myself, I have to check myself when I'm judging things that he's telling me and like, okay, is he telling you this to be judge or is he telling you this so that you guys can create a solution and can get this off his chest? Because if you judge him in this scenario, then he probably isn't going to share information with you going forward. And then it's just going to be a big mess. Um, so we really, really early on, we had to identify like who was what when it came to money in our relationship. Um, I, you know, I knew a little more about it than him. So I took the role of teaching him certain things, but then we got to a point where it's like, okay, we've been together, me and my husband together for 10 years now. It's like, you've been front row seat to this for the past eight years. It's time to take the training wheels off. Like I need, I need support in this too. And being honest and communicating that with him and saying, okay, I have expectations that now with you having this knowledge that you will exercise it and take a lead in it too. But that does require constant communication. We aren't even always the best in it. Um, but one of the best ways to get on the same page is to create goals together. Um, we're always on the best pages or we're always in sync when we're creating goals together. And I think sometimes people, we realize or actualize those goals and we fall back into our, our, our habits or doing things that were previously comfortable and saying, saying, okay, so what's next? So when we moved to Los Angeles, we had a goal together of like getting out here. Now we're purchasing our property in Georgia. And so it's like, okay, so we, we have a goal together. Um, that requires a lot of conversation. And so I recommend that couples sit down and create at least one or two financial goals together that they feel comfortable pursuing. And um, that will help you communicate better about something that you both are passionate about or both are want to work towards. Mm. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Like I could, I could almost visualize you having those conversations. <laughs> and I love how, um, you know, in your relationship, you shared how you're more empowering because I think sometimes as women, especially as strong women, mm -hmm. um, sometimes you're like, okay, I'll do this, I'll do this and I'll do that, but not creating a space where we're like actually empowering our partner to say, yeah, I could do that, but I would love it if you would do it. And I think that uh, it Again, it's something that is not shared that often, but I think it's so powerful when it comes to relationships for there to be some type of balance. It is, it is. And I think across the board, you know, not just money. Um, one, one of my good friends who's a, a marriage coach and like, well, she's a, she helps women like have it all, as she says. But one of the things she works on is marriage and she's like, it doesn't serve you to wear the cape. Like it does not serve you to be exhausted and overwhelmed and just keep burning, putting things on your plate. You, you need to be comfortable asking for help and asking for, you know, support and asking for co-leadership in certain scenarios and so forth. And it took me a while to get that, especially being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, someone who's just like, okay, so we make things happen um, to really step back and say, okay, so what can you, you know, what can you delegate? What, what can, what, how do you empower your husband in this relationship to also feel like he is um, is not just paying bills or not just, you know, a financial sub contributor, but also like an actual contributor in so many other ways in this relationship? Like, how can you make your life easier and empower him? 
Um, and so it, that's still a work in progress. Uh, one of the things I started therapy last year. One of the things I realized is I have like control issues. And so um, working to relinquish control and like not feel like I have to wear the cape and get do everything myself for things to get done. So it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing that you get there because a lot of people have such a stigma around mm-hmm. therapy. And I just posted a holistic health schedule today and listed all the things you schedule in your day. And right on there under like time in nature, time with therapy, time with online therapy, you know, for emotional trauma, mm-hmm. for relationship trauma, ancestral trauma, childhood trauma, all these things. And how important has that been? And what have you noticed that how you have benefited from your therapy we are carrying you know before going to therapy i was that person who was like i don't need therapy like i work through my stuff I'm, i ask myself questions like i'm i'm very curious i i'm very self-aware i, I don't need therapy uh and then <laughs> like two months into therapy i was like sis you need therapy <laughs> um, <laughs> you you got some stuff with you um, and it's just been, it was the best investment I made last year. Like I, even during this pandemic, I've been keeping up my therapy appointments. Me and my therapist meet every week um, to navigate certain things. There were just things that I didn't realize that I had issues with or that were bothering me from my childhood or bothering me from previous relationships that I hadn't addressed because I just didn't realize they were the root of issues. I I was kind of dealing with issues maybe superficially or what was above ground instead of getting to the root of what the issues were and understanding that a lot of it is interconnected. Um, And so what's good, and but what's also good about therapy is as a high performing individual or someone who expects a lot from yourself, my therapist also requires me to step back and celebrate myself. And she requires that, like, she get create space where she's like, no, that's amazing. Um, because I, I think that for, a, I don't know, I can't speak to maybe your upbringing, but I know with me, like, my parents expected a lot of me. And so when I graduated from high school, my dad was like, but that's what you're supposed to do. When I graduated from college, he was like, that's what you're supposed to do. When I got my master's, he was like, great, next your doctorate. It was just like, <laughs> okay, so what are we going to... <laughs> Um, yeah, and um, I didn't realize how much that affected how I moved as an adult until I in, got I was in therapy. And so I, the great thing is that you know if someone can't afford therapy, there are a lot of good financial resources available. There are especially now um, there's low cost therapy options available. There's sliding scale options available. There's podcasts available that you can listen to. That does not replace having a personal therapist who helps you dig through your own particular scenarios and events and life experience, but it's a start. It's a start of self-awareness and um, realizing like, you know, looking at yourself in a different way. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And meditation, breath work and yoga, like people will be surprised at how much energy and trauma that that naturally releases. People ask me, they're like, why did I just burst out into tears when I was in this hip opener? Or why do I have a massive headache? But then the yeah. next day I feel so much better. And they don't realize that that's actually toxins and trauma moving and being processed through the body. Or people will go get massages and like, wow, I feel so much better. I'm not even upset anymore, you know? And it's it's helping some of that those things release from the body. So I feel like, you know, having the therapy is important. Also doing the self-care and the nurturing and the mindfulness. Yeah. 
all of those things together will help us process in a way where we can be that best version of ourselves. So absolutely and meditation like meditation has been transformative to me i was so excited when i was on the insight timer app and i saw your i was like oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and doing you know doing your meditations and so forth um it and you know i also learned tapping you know i started tapping because of a um, individual i found because of one of your instagram lives and that's just been remarkable you know one of the things i don't think i was prepared for as a parent was the grief that you have shifting into motherhood because everybody's like oh it's the best thing ever so and so and so but there is you it's like you literally shed elements of your old self in your life that you had before you became a parent and now you're expected to be selfless now you're expected to be on and available for someone and sometimes you're like i just want to show up for myself today and i have to show up for someone else and it's exhausting um and they had a tap um they had a tapping meditation on there that just like really helped me navigate that and and walk through it so tapping has definitely also become an essential part of my self-care so great i'm glad you mentioned that because especially with anxiety and navigating this time and dealing with all the stress you know people are like what's the quickest way i'm like tapping and breath work and you know and especially when it comes in the moment and you don't have time to sit in a quiet place i feel like just doing the tapping doing the emotional freedom technique aka mm -hmm. eft is the best way to just get yourself to a safe space so within yourself, you are okay. Yeah. And then you can take the next best step. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I, you know, I think these are tools that I once assigned to people who have privilege. Um, but it's like, you know, meditation is, it's essentially free. Um, mm. It is just about creating that space and that time for it. So I, I, what I don't want anyone to do is listening like, well, y'all, you know, y'all, y'all are financially stable. Y'all got this, y'all got that and everything. But it's like, meditation just like prayer is free meditation is free um you just really have to like create the time and create the space for that's when you wake up or before you go to bed or you know when you get out the shower just sit on the bathroom floor for an extra three minutes whatever you need to do to get it in but self-care isn't always as expensive as some people think it is but self-care will yield results that help you actualize and experience wealth and abundance in ways that you never realized it Absolutely. 100%. And I do think anyone listening realizes that, you know, especially right now, so many people, companies, corporations are offering their services and programs for free. And so, like you said, the breath is free and learning how to use that breath. It is important to sign up for free breath work classes. I was doing breath work and sound healing every day on my lives and you know, had my membership that has breath work, yoga, and all this stuff for free. And so I feel like it's also about having the knowledge that this is really going to help. Like mm -hmm. you said, a lot of people think, oh, that's not for me. I know that's what I thought when I first started yoga. Like, I don't fit in. I'm an athlete. I'm not a yogi. I'm not a hippie. Like, I'm not this. I'm not that. And it's instead of thinking about what I wasn't, once I started to connect with my breath and realize what was possible, the game changed. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I feel so good. And every day I felt better and better. So I feel like if anyone listens, just gives themselves half a chance and just get started and see how they start to feel, you know, they're going to be sometimes a headache, sometimes a crying, sometimes this uncomfortability. But then after that, there are breakthroughs that happen like on a regular basis. And it's so yeah. worth it. And realizing it's all interconnected. I think that, you know, when I'm working with people, um, one of the reasons I'm not necessarily a fan of traditional financial education is because it 
it's treated as something that happens in a silo that isn't connected with everything else, but really is part of like our holistic wellness. Um, money plays into that. And so once you start doing the self-work and start doing the breath work and everything, it has impacts and benefits that help you manage your money better or help you um, address your perspective when it comes to money or finances. Or it helps you deal with collective fear, such as what is happening now and so forth. I mean, several times during this pandemic, especially when it first happened, I had to tell myself, okay, that's their reality. That reality does not have to be your reality. It does not. You don't have to own that reality. And honestly, Koya, since this has all begun, like my reality has been completely completely different. And it just stands a testament into just being able to have that foundation outside of basic financial principles, but energetic principles and so forth to help support my financial education, which is where I think that traditional financial education sells a lot of people short is because they just want to deal with the numbers and how to balance. A, well, people don't balance checkbooks anymore, but <laughs> how, you know, how to create a budget and so forth without understanding, you know, what are the reasons that people might have sabotaged their budget before in the past? Or what are the things that are lending to someone feeling that they, they aren't worthy of earning their full income potential. And that's one of the reasons that's contributing to them not being able to break the cycle is because they're not earning enough money. Like, I don't want to keep telling people, oh, well, you don't have enough money because you, you know, you, you, you spend it on the wrong things. Sometimes you don't have, you're not making enough money because you're not actualizing your self-worth and asserting that. So how do we help someone feel comfortable and like, and, and start to move towards actualization of their self-worth. And I think all of that should be incorporated in financial education, not just how to create a budget and how to read a credit card statement. I love that. And I think we were talking before about the energy of money and really how to, how to create that like abundance cycle. And you mentioned one thing that I think is so important and that's what are you worth? And you mm -hmm. have to know your worth. So can you talk a little bit about worthiness, especially as a woman um, and knowing your worth and your value? Yeah, you know, worth is something, what I will say is that I think, and sometimes we have to be reminded of our worth and sometimes we have to put ourselves in positions to allow other people to remind us of our worth. And I say that because when I first got started with financial education, when I first started in my business, I had successfully advocated for raises. I mean, my previous jobs and so forth, I was like one of the only staff members who got a raise two times in one year where everybody else was like, I've been here for three years and I haven't got a raise. And I was asking for my raise because I realized that what's the worst thing that could happen for me, with me asking for more money? Like either they're going to let me go or they're going to say no, but most likely, you know, I, I think that fortune typically favors the bold. And so, um, but when I started working on my own, like I was a whole other hurdle um, as an entrepreneur, because I was just like, you know, I don't have an Ivy League degree. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I have a, a big Afro and eight tattoos. I was like, I'm not the typical financial educator that these brands might gravitate to and so forth. And what I had to realize is that my authenticity was my power, like who I show up with. That's part of my power. That's my work living authentically in who I am, it makes me even more valuable. Um, and that was a critical part of the work, but then also getting an agent. Sometimes if you can't advocate for yourself, maybe it's important for you to bring someone else in. So I ended up bringing in my agent and we've been working together for three years now. And there would be times where people would send over a budget and I'd be like, oh, 
this is great. Like, and I'm referencing it to what I was making before I became an entrepreneur. My agent is referencing it to what he's seen with his other clients. He's like, absolutely not. We're not taking that. And <laughs> it's, it's great because now I do have his mindset and it's, Sometimes you just need to, to see some see yourself through someone else's eyes in order to see like, oh, okay, I'm, maybe I am downplaying myself or maybe I'm not valuing myself as much. Maybe I'm not seeing the potential or maybe I'm limited by what I've seen in my circle and like now I need to step into this other circle. Um, so it's an ongoing thing. It's, it's ongoing work. But if you are having issues advocating for yourself and if you are having issues you know, with your self-worth, Ask the people around you for support. Ask, um, seek support until you get to that place mentally. Because um, now, yeah, now my agent, me and him go back and forth. I'm like, I'm not doing that. He's like, no, we're not doing that. You know, <laughs> so now, right. now, now it's one of those scenarios where I do feel my work and walk in it. And now if I do take a opportunity that is not financially in line with what I feel like my worth is, I'm able to say, but I want to do this because it feels good, or I want to do this because I believe in this, or I believe in serving people in this way. Or, but but I know I know that I'm choosing to do this not because I have to or because I feel obligated to, but because this is something I want to spend my time on, even though it might not be the financial reward or the financial um, attachment that I would deem my value. Right there, you get some emotional energy, some in the bank account and some emotional deposits from that experience mm -hmm. as well. And I'm big on emotional deposits. I do. Yeah, I, I just leave them all around. <laughs> because like you so, say, money is energy. It, and I don't do it because it, the goal of it coming back to me, I just do it with the goal of just like releasing and receiving, releasing and receiving, releasing and receiving, just being in that constant flow of releasing and receiving. I love that. I love that. That, that flow state, that flow state and that heart chakra, giving and receiving, creating yeah. that cycle of abundance. I love it. And can you talk a little bit about, I know like some, some financial things people can do right now at this time, because, you know, a lot of people, they don't know if they're going to go back to their job. They don't know if they're going to have a job. So a lot of people are kind of being pushed into being an entrepreneur. Some people were wishing for it, saying, I don't like my job anyway. <laughs> and some people are just like, oh my God. Do you have any tips for people that they can do now? I know there's a couple of things that they can apply for and some things that people can do right now just to kind of secure their finances. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a few things, you know, if you have time available to you, go ahead and pursue that certification, that course. Um, if you pursued a certification or a course and haven't necessarily capitalized it, look at what options or educational opportunities are out there. That could be an asset so that you could capitalize on it or so that you could turn it into um, something that could help you replace your income or, you know, help sustain your level of comfort. But then also looking at what resources out are available out there. So maybe you don't qualify for a federal grant or a state grant, but maybe you qualify or maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a software company that's giving away loans to small women business owners or small businesses and so forth. So looking at the other options that are available to you, but that receiving, you know, um, don't count yourself out because what I see a lot of people do is like they count themselves out before they even give themselves a chance. Um, right. And so giving yourself every opportunity to win, get like really being committed to that, giving yourself every single opportunity. Um, 
you know, entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. Just because you hated your job doesn't necessarily mean that entrepreneurship is the path for you. Maybe now is a good time to test it. It can't, I don't want people to become dis, um, disgruntled or discouraged because this is a interesting climate to navigate. People are holding their money closer to their chest and people are, you know, there is this collective fear. People don't know when they're going to get paid again. They don't know if they're going to lose their job and so forth. So it could be a rocky time to start a business, but also in the same sense, like their reality doesn't have to be your reality. Money is going to get spent. People are spending money. Like, and it comes down to you figuring out how to uniquely position yourself to receive that money from them because they're going to give it to somebody. That's just, that's just, people spent those stimulus checks. Like we know that Um, people are (laughs) are buying masks, people are, but, and maybe this is an opportunity for you to pivot. Maybe it's an opportunity to pivot your offerings or pivot the way that you thought that you were going to offer your services. So yeah, my main two tips are to look for all the resources available to you, free, paid, um, look for things to support maybe existing resources that you've purchased or um, existing education that you've acquired so that you can effectively maximize it and start doing. And then the other is the other one is pivot if you need to. I think a lot of people are going to have to pivot. We've seen people who have clothing companies and now they're making masks because a lot of places now have mask mandates here in Los Angeles. You have to have a mask on in public and people are buying, you know, a lot of handmade cloth masks to exercise their individuality and everything else. Everyone doesn't want to wear a surgical mask. And so (laughs) it's just pivot if you need to listen. That's one thing I've had to do a lot in my business is create space. Meditation is good for that because it allows you to become silent and listen and listen to what your pivot might need to be or if you need to make adjustments in your business plan as a result of what the current climate is. I love that. I love that. And I think we were talking before on our IG live and there's one tip that I've definitely started doing, but I did it again after we talked and that was like, go through your expenses and start taking off all of those things that you're not using those recurring like chunks out of your paycheck, you know, with the latte factors as some business people call them. I mean, yeah, if you're doing something that brings you joy, but make sure you're choosing it because those things can add up over time. They really do. And, you know, being, being conscious, I think there is like having an abundance mindset and there's also being conscious of waste and being conscious of like how you could also spend your money in better ways to serve you. Even today, me and my husband were talking and he was like, do we want to order in? I was like, no, we have this in the refrigerator. We have that. We have this. Let's go ahead and like, eat that now. And then I have a class coming up later this week and we'll order in on that day because it makes the most sense energetically. But it's just like, you know, just really asking your, like, just because I don't want people to think that being in the flow of abundance means you just like here, my money is just everywhere. You still want to make sure that you're making wise financial decisions. And that means if there's a, um, a subscription or something like that that you've been paying for. Um, just looking through your bank statements and being looking through your bank statements is important because maybe you're being overcharged. Maybe there's theft occurring with your account, but then maybe there's something that you're being charged for on a monthly basis that you didn't realize that you're being charged for. Uh, my office, they, and, and in asking, you know, that's another thing. Like if you're being charged for something that you don't think makes sense right now, reach out and ask my office. They were charging me for parking. I'm like, we're at a stay at home order right now. Like I'm not dry. I'm not parking in that parking deck. So what right. can we do about this? And they gave me um, credit for the next, the past two months. And they said, we'll give you another credit if the stay at home order is lifted. So, you know, asking as well and just right. You just never know what's available to you, but you won't know if you don't look through those statements and see what you're being charged. Right. 
Awesome. 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 I love it. So I have a, I have a couple ending questions for you. Okay. And one is if after this everlasting uncertain staycation, you could create the world that you would like, what would the world look like? Oh, you know, one thing that this experience has taught me is like, there's not a world of mutual concern. I feel like, you know, with all these in the lockdown protests and stuff like that, there is a disregard for like collective safety and collective wellness. Um, So I would say it would be a world that is like, we feel responsible for one another's wellness and we take that serious and we take that into consideration as we make our day-to-day decisions. So much I could say on that, but yeah. That, mm. that, that's what, that's one thing I would like to see out of this is just like people realize that they're, they don't live in a vacuum and their lives affect so many other people. And so being responsible for that and being compassionate and considerate with that. And what is love to you? Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> what is love? Love is, hmm. Gosh, I'm smiling because it's just like I, when I, for me, love has a physical embodiment. Um, love is just a reflection of things that I cherish. But love, I mean, love is powerful. Love is an engine. Um, but love is, I would say love is like, love has the ability, it's, it's so pure and it can be so pure and so cleansing. So yeah, I'll say that. Love is, so I'm just going to end on that. Love is cleansing. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all your tips and all your wisdom. And if there's anything you want to leave, any advice, any last shares you want to leave with the community? Yeah. um, You know, I really enjoy connecting with people. We do. If you are like, you know, what is my money story at MyFabFinance? We have a quiz that kind of say like, what does your money say about you? That's at MyFabFinance.com backslash quiz. Um, And what I really want to just remind people is that you are powerful. And regardless of what is going on in other people's lives, regardless of what has even happened in your own life, you are powerful and you have the potential to redefine, recreate and reposition yourself and experience life in a manner that you, you deserve. And so just never lose sight of that, that you are powerful. That's, I really want people to own that because I just, think that too many people profit from us not owning our power. Redefine, recreate. Yes. Re- redefine, recreate, and reinvent. I'm like, it just came off my heart. I don't know. Redefine, recreate, and reinvent yourself. I love yeah. that. That is so <laughs> powerful. Redefine, recreate, and reinvent yourself. I love it. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for shining your beautiful light, being such a beautiful inspiration and how we can not only take control of our finance, but also take control of our family life and kind of bring it all together to create the life that we want to live. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for holding space for this type of conversation around money. I don't think there's enough of them had. So thank you so much for lending your, your platform and your voice to this. And hopefully it inspires someone to change their story. That's what we do. We get loved up. So until next time, love yourself, love others, and love the world one day at a time, one breath at a time. Peace and love. In 2019, I wrote my first book, Let Your Fears Make You Fears, How to Turn Common Obstacles into Seeds for Growth. 
In the book, I share some of my biggest challenges I faced on my journey to living my purpose and how I overcame them using simple yet profound daily reflections and rituals that I share in the book. I'm excited for you to dive in and experience your own evolution into the best version of yourself. Go to KoyaWeb.com to check it out and join the Get Loved Up membership for daily meditations, recipes, workouts, and everything that you need to live a healthy and active lifestyle mentally, spiritually, and physically. Go to KoyaWeb.com forward slash audible A-U-D-I-B-L-E if you'd rather listen to it at your own convenience. Let's get loved up.